I'm not sure um, what words I should use to communicate to you some of the things that I was feeling this week. Fear and trepidation might help. They certainly were a part of what I experienced. There was a kind of caution, too, this, this feeling of a need to take great care in the things I was doing. But that's not all there was there. There was more. There was something that went beyond mere fear, something that almost swallowed up all regard for the self. I don't know any word to use to describe that other than awe. In my thinking, that seems to have the best fit. Maybe amazement worked somewhat. There was a sense where I was near something so beautiful, so magnificent, so wonderful, so overwhelming, that I had no right to be there. And yet there I was. And I was there over and over again. You know, there are some passages in the scriptures which are like that. We feel it, I think, when we read them. But when they form the basis of a, of a song that we sing, though the truth is our familiarity and our own fallen nature often cause us to miss something of their power. I think we almost unknowingly, of course, hide from words like these. In our hearts, we, we kind of become like Peter when he fell before Jesus and he said, go away from me. Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Or like Isaiah when he beheld the living God and he said, Woe is me, for I have seen God and I'm undone, for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And we recognize there's a sense in which we are not fit for such things. We realize that there's something beyond anything we deserve. We know we don't have a right to be there, and still there was Peter. Isaiah was there, and these scriptures were given to us. And I, too, am like you. I, I read them, and often I read right over them. This week I couldn't do that, uh, for I knew that today I had to talk about this passage. There are some passages which simply overwhelm the preacher. We both want and don't want to talk about them. We feel in them our own unworthiness and the greatness of God is unveiled and we feel those things at the same time. I want to read the passage to you right now before I say anything about it. I want you just to listen. Let the words themselves do as they are intended to do and speak to your heart. Try to turn your mind away from Try to still that nagging voice that's always saying, me, me, me. And hear the words of God from Philippians chapter 2. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used of his own 
rather he emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on cross. And therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee and every will bring glory to God. So let's see if we can understand this a little better. Honor God and try to understand this passage just a little bit better. Of course, it shouldn't stop there. We need to do what it says. And in fact, uh, the passage begins by telling us this very thing in verse 5. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to tell us of his mindset. So this passage gives us a glimpse into the heart and mind, the inner workings of our God. But we're shown these things so that we might live differently, that we might become something that we are not, at least not yet, but which we may and to get there, we have to have the same attitude that Jesus had. We're to have his mindset all the time. But it begins right here in this room among these people, your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's here we really learn to live out the faith. You know, for an hour or so, every week we come together as where the Spirit is doing things in us that we would never have expected and wouldn't know about except that we're told in the Scriptures. Building us together as a kind of a spiritual building where God can live. Where would the people of God, the presence of God, and our backs are turned away from the world, and our faces towards heaven, and our hearts are open. At such times like that, there is an effect on our hearts and souls. And among such people, as we find here in this room, we learn to live as Christians. Not just here in this building, but in our day-to-day lives. For we're friends here. We don't just see one another on Sunday, but all of you have developed friendships with others. And those relationships go beyond Sunday morning. And in those relationships, we begin to learn how to have the mind of Christ. Now, there are five things we see here in this passage which help us to do that very thing. First, we see Christ himself, and that inspires us. And then secondly, we see him emptying himself. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. And following, uh, there is this complete obedience by our Savior. That's the third thing we see. Fourth, we, we grasp there is something 
waiting for us, which makes the journey worth the toil. And finally, the fifth thing is, is that everyone will come, everyone will come to the same conclusion. But unfortunately, not the same conclusion. Those five things that we see here can help us to have the mind of Christ. And the example set before us is the first thing we see. When we see Christ himself. And so we begin in verse 6. Who, meaning Christ, being in the very nature God. Now, we stop right there. But there are all sorts of people who want to deny that. But there is no question that Jesus is God. And I am not here this morning to prove to you that he is We've talked about this at other times and in other places. That today, I'm talking to Christians who already accept this truth. If you're here today and you're struggling with this, I invite you to come and see me, and I will show you this truth as it is recorded, as it is taught over and over and over again throughout this Bible. For the rest of us here, we're standing and we're starting with the fact that Christ is God, the second person of the Trinity. And the text goes on to tell us, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now I have to tell you, that's a highly interpretive translation uh, here in the NIV that is used to try to capture and communicate something of the meaning of the entire text. You know, the Greek simply reads this. He did not consider equality with God something he had to steal. You see, he already had it by right. He didn't have to take it. He owned it. We had our barn on our farm broken into twice in the last seven or eight years. And thousands of dollars were taken each time. Uh, they were stolen. They were taken out of that barn. And whether they were taken to be used or sold, they were stolen. When I took them out of the barn, they weren't stolen. They were mine. They belonged to me. I could do anything I wanted with them. I could use them. I could sell them. I could even give them away. They were mine. Well, Christ owns his deity. And unlike tools which aren't a part of anyone, Christ's deity was and is who he is in his essence and in his nature. And if anyone other than the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit made that claim, if you or I made that claim, which is what our first parents did, Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden and disobeyed in order to become like God, or Satan who fell from heaven like lightning because he wanted to be greater than God. If anyone other than God tried to make that claim, they would be acting as thieves, trying to steal something that doesn't belong to them. But Christ is God. He owns it. And it is so completely that he doesn't have to lock it up in a barn and try to keep people from taking it from him. They couldn't anyway. 
It's so completely his that he doesn't have to guard it at all. In fact, he can even set it aside, which is what verse 7 tells us he did. Rather, he made himself nothing. God, he was and is, and he made himself nothing. You know, the Greek actually says there he emptied himself. Now, we're going to come back to this later. But what we see here is that Christ, who was good and is God, emptying himself. And verse goes on to, t- seven goes on to tell us that he took the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So God became a man, and he did so for us. He's our example. That's not the end of his example to us, but it's the start here. There's much more going on, and we're going to look at that now. But the first thing that can help us to have this mind of Christ in us, to have this attitude, is to see him, to look to his example. And when you see Christ, it changes you. When you see him as he is, when you open your heart and your mind to him, when you submit yourself to him, things begin to happen inside of you. That's the first thing. The second thing we've already mentioned, he emptied himself. Now, for you and I, I want you to know that necessarily means turning our back on sin. That's not all that it means. That's where most of us start. We start by trying not to sin. But Jesus didn't have that issue. Yet he still emptied himself. So it means more to us then than just not sinning. It really does mean to be willing to give up even good things in our lives. For me, and I suspect for most of us, it means silencing that incessant voice which is always saying, but what about me? But what about me? But what about me? It means getting our eyes off of ourselves and looking out for others. There's a willingness to give up what we call our rights so we can uphold the needs of others. Christ emptied himself. That's the Greek render. The NIV says he made himself nothing. The New Living Translation, he gave up his divine privileges. The King James says he made himself nothing no reputation. All of those things have one thing in common. It's a giving up of the self. We may call it kind of a surrender. Jesus put it this way. If anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny themselves. And he goes on to say, we have to take up our cross, and we have to be willing to die. And we have to follow him. Sometimes I think that seems to us as though it were a big a thing as Christ living, leaving the glories of heaven. It's not, but it sure can feel like that. See, for us, it, it's a, a constant battle. If I'm ever able to empty myself, I fill right back up with me again. Even as I try, I find me. So we keep at it. 
we came emptying, like, like bailing out a boat with a hole in it. If we keep bailing, if we keep doing it, if we keep bailing, we, we might just reach the shore. If we stop, it's hurting us. This emptying of ourselves, the attempt that we make at it, is necessary for us. And it's necessary for us to do the third thing, which can help us to have that attitude of Christ. At least it points us in the right direction. It helps us to be obedient. And so Christ emptied himself and became a man, and then in verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, to have the same attitude which Jesus had, we need to be obedient. I want you to notice what it says here. As a man, he humbled himself. He, he was not humbled by the circumstances outside of him as we so often are. He took the initiative. That's part of the emptying, I think. And we ought to humble ourselves too. And if we don't, well, I, I'm going to probably do something. God has a way of dealing with that too. Jesus demonstrated his humility by becoming obedient. And he was completely obedient. There was no limit to it. He was obedient to death, even if that death was a You know, Jesus also demonstrated something else in that. He demonstrated his divinity by being obedient to death. You see, only a divine being can accept death as an obedience. For ordinary people like us, it's a necessity. But that's just what Christ did. It's not that crucifixion is the worst form of death. It may be, or there may be something, other things which are worse. I, I really don't know. But it's a horrible way to die. But you know, the real significance of this death, the bird here in, 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 in the mention of the cross, it was a separation from the Father. When the sins of the world were placed on him. See, the whole point of talking about the, Christ, the, the cross here is that Christ endured what you and I never have to endure because he did. He endured it for us. He endured hell for us. When the Father turned his back on him for those three hours on that cross, the darkness of As he bore the sins, your sins and mine, the sins of the whole world. For hell really is that separation now, you know, you and I haven't been called upon to die for our faith, though that could happen. We start with smaller steps. And, you know, every act of obedience is a step in the right direction. And, and really, once again, I have to tell you, this is more than just not trying to sin. It's not just keeping the commandments. Of course, we, we wanted to do that. But that's a negative way of looking at disobedience. The positive way is to remember what Jesus taught us when he said, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that is how we keep the commandments. 
I may not always feel like we're loving God or others, but every time we take a step, every time we do something that we ought to do because we know we ought to do it, or we don't do something we shouldn't do because we know we shouldn't do it, we are obeying and we are expressing love. We are moving in the right direction. Jesus put it this way. Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say? Meaning, if he's our Lord, then we all obey him. We, we see Christ in this passage, and he emptied himself, and he became obedient. And then, the fourth thing, which helps us to have the mind of Christ when we when we grasp that there is something waiting for us which makes the journey worth it all. Verse 9 tells us what that emptying and obedience meant for Christ. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That's what God did to him. That's what belonged to him. The highest place and the greatest name. And you see, once he became a man, you understand the only way back to that was for him to do just what he did. Now, you and I, we won't be exalted to the highest place or given the greatest name. Those things belong to Christ, but you and I are in him, and we will be lifted up to the place he has prepared for us, and we'll be given a new name, the name he has for us that no one else Right now, uh, Olympic trials are going on. Athletes are competing for spots to compete in the games itself in hopes of a medal, maybe even a goal. Their whole lives, you know, have been lived for this. They've led up to this point. And they've worked hard and they've, they've given so much else up. Just a chance. The hope of the medal makes all they have endured seem worth it. And yet, it's just a medal. As though they may be able to compete in this game, and maybe another one or two of the Olympics, their time is short. They will grow old and they'll no longer be able to compete. They will grow weak and one day they'll die. That's a wonderful thing to win an Olympic medal. It's, a, it's wonderful just to be able to compete at that level, but it doesn't compare to what awaits us in glory and the glory to come. But Jesus is in our example. He, he emptied himself. He, he was completely obedient, and even he knew what was coming. Hebrews says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For us, what God has in store for us helps us on the way. The fifth thing that ought to help us have the mind of Christ is that everyone will come to the same conclusion. Unfortunately, not in the same condition, but we will all come to the same conclusion. Listen, what verse 10 tells us, we'll begin reading back in verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee and every tongue. There are no exceptions here. Whether it is something in heaven or on earth or under the earth, whether it is a devil or an angel or a human being, every knee and every tongue, Satan will bow and confess that eternal truth. Mohammed will. Buddha and Brahma, if they ever existed, like guys, will bow and the atheist who says God does not exist and the agnostic who claims not to know and not to be sure, those who hate God and his ways and his people, every knee and every tongue will do so too, along with God's people down through the centuries, the prophets and the kings and the priests of the Old Testament, the apostles and the disciples of the New Testament, every knee and every tongue. For us, it'll be a proclamation of joy, an act of exalted love. It's something we've already done and we try to do every day of our lives. For us, it will be the end of our quest, the beginning of unending joy, where we will be free from all which bound us, which, will, which has kept us from enjoying all that God gives us. For those on the outside, it'll be an act of the broken and a cry of despair. The beginning of the end, which will never come, in a place where God is absent and so where there is no good thing at all. Every knee and every tongue. Christ was exalted to the highest place. He was obedient. He emptied himself. He is our example. And he came to save. And you and I, we have our part in that. We have his message. Every name and every tongue will declare him when that happens, whether it's here in this life or at the end of all things, may he depend on you.
us such wonderful things, overwhelming things, the things we need to see, hear, understand. Help us, Lord, to take to heart that truth. It will happen. There will be no exception. Every man, every tongue will indeed confess that Jesus is Lord to your glory. Help us to live. Help us to take your message. Help us to make a difference. 